Welcome to the Mo Therapy Podcast. I am a current grad student at the University of Puget Sound, and this is a podcast to help share my journey, insights, and fun facts to make mental health information more accessible. And I hope you enjoy. This is an insightful episode with P.T. Griffin. We talk about his work as a professional DM, how he got into the business, and now runs 12 sessions a week, which is pretty amazing. I linked ways you can connect with him in the show notes, so make sure to check that out. He also talks about his process for creating campaigns and how his love for creating shared experiences among friends fills him with so much joy. P.T. Griffin, aka Tav, is a Los Angeles-based writer, professional game master, and as you already know, head of Detect Magic Games. He debuted in the world of fiction as the lead writer of Ross Trans Fantasy art book, Nima, and aims to explore the development and design of his own tabletop adventures in the near future. And he is a friend connected to Connor, who is in the last interview. If you want to go check that out, check that out too. So yeah, I just want to welcome him to the show and so happy that you're here. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for that intro and, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So to start off, what is kind of like your origin with playing TTRPGs? Yeah, so I would say in comparison to a lot of folks, I actually probably have a bit of a late start to tabletop. I played a lot of board games and video games when I was a kid, but I actually didn't get started with D&D or tabletop until I was kind of at the end of high school, early college career. And I actually started with fourth edition and then very quickly, some of my college colleagues turned me on to Pathfinder because all of the source books and, and materials were free online. So as, as poor college students, we were able to to get all of the all of the classes and all of the ancestries and all, and all of that and get started on some adventures. So yeah, I started out as a player, as I think most folks do, and I loved my earliest dungeon masters, but very quickly thought, well, I I think I could probably do this better, or at least in a way that that is more suited to my tastes. And so I, I quickly started DMing after that. How was your transition from player into DM? Yeah, so I think was, I had a lot of ideas. <laughs> I, I had a great scope of, of things that I wanted to do and very quickly realized that, oh, this game isn't, isn't so much about me creating this awesome storyline or this awesome world all on my own and then showing it off to the players it's much more about what the players are going to do with what is given to them so i think early on i definitely came to the table with all of these cool ideas and wanting to show off my writing expertise or whatever it might have been whatever i might have thought it was but then my players quickly shifted away from everything cool that I wanted to show them. But I realized they started making their own cool stuff. And I was like, wait a second, uh, this is this is way better than just me sitting down and writing a story. That's, I think, when I experienced uh, the value of, whoa, this game is really cool. Yeah, the collaborative storytelling elements of it. What's your process for start a new campaign? Yeah, so uh, there's the kind of the two paths that you can go. There's getting a pre-written module or pre-written adventure, and then there's doing everything kind of on all on your own homebrew style. A lot of folks don't like the pre-written adventure stuff, and I definitely understand why, because 
it leads you down a very specific path. And often mm -hmm. if you're only preparing the pre-written adventure, then you might be afraid to let your players move away from what's written in there because you're like, oh, I don't have it prepared. But I, I think they're really good tools, especially because just having an established section of the world allows you to play around rather than making it all up off the cuff. You have kind of what, what is expected. And then if your players go off on the side or do their own thing you can facilitate that but still have like a good idea of what the core of the adventure is and without having too aggressive of a hand kind of kind of push them back mm -hmm. towards towards the the center without too much trouble i think the important thing is to establish play spaces for your players not establish here's a scenario here's what they have to do here continue on into the next set piece or the next scene or whatever but build them a space that they can play around in mm -hmm. that that has a few doorways out into other aspects of the adventure but give them the time to kind of move through it at their pace maybe miss some things, maybe make some important choices that locks them out of some other choices. The whole, I think the biggest value of this game is like, like the what would have happened mm -hmm. kind of play style. They can't, it's not like a video game or choose your own adventure where you can go back and go the other way and, and see what happened in door, in door number two or mm -hmm. door number three or whatever. But so true. really, really have them wonder like, wow, what, what was behind those other doors or what would have happened if we made those other choices? Because oftentimes the fantasy of how big this world is and, and what could be going on and all these other pathways, that really builds that immersion for them. So I would say, yeah, give them choices, give them a sand, like a sandbox to an extent, put some limits on it, but make them feel like they're really the ones deciding where to go and, and where to push the story forward in that sense. As far as like being able to conceptualize this world, I know there's a lot of different world building um, techniques. I'm wondering, do you like have a whiteboard that you're like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to learn? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love like mind maps, having a really like visual idea of where are they going to start? Where could they possibly go? How do these things connect? And I would say what you really want to do is kind of get to know your players, whether they're friends or, or just kind of acquaintances who say, hey, you're a DM. We've heard about this D&D &D thing. Would you run for us? That, that's definitely happening more and more. But get an idea of their expectations. If you really want to run a ha like haunted, spooky, Curse of Strahd style adventure, but they're thinking Lord of the Rings or World of Warcraft or something different, then those expectations are obviously going to clash and they're going to be like, well, this isn't what I thought it was. And so really getting an idea of do they want this, their heroic do-gooders and it's this epic adventure they want more of a political intrigue going through the city discovering investigating and, and discovering mysteries you know really figure out what they're expecting so you can build towards those expectations and in some cases even subvert those expectations to the value of your players especially in the professional side of things often it'll be complete strangers the session zero is a an incredibly important tool there sitting everyone down making sure that they not only understand you know what is expected from them in terms of respecting others at the table what they should expect from me in terms of how i run the game but also getting a sense of okay why are you folks here what what are you looking for in a game what is going to be the best way that i can facilitate what's going to make you happy and at the same time what's going to make the whole table happy so yeah that session zero super super important 
and it, it allows your players to ask you questions, you can ask them questions, and together you can kind of build the foundations of what will then become your, your game or your table. Mm. Are there certain questions that you're like, I make sure to cover these aspects in session zero? Yeah, so I would say one of the big things is figuring out what folks like, especially with all of these podcasts that people will listen to these days, they might come in and their only experience with D&D is Critical Role or Dimension 20. And those are the fact that you can go to those podcasts or those shows and get a sense of what a player's into, that's great because you have this whole well of information of what they know, what they think D&D is. But in some other cases, I have some players who've been playing since the 80s, who've been playing since Advanced Dungeons and & Dragons, and so their idea of D&D is this really crunchy, dungeon-delving, punishing kind of game where you get the kind of more modern players who it's more about role play and these long-term stories and the kind of emotional connections that those characters are making. And so understanding, uh, yeah, definitely understanding what people are into, what their, what their kind of base in tabletop is, is, is really important, I would say. To, and, and sometimes it's hard to find the middle ground between those two types of players, but you, you can do it. And folks are often really excited, I found, to experience new flavors of tabletop, the, the older style or the, new, the newer styles. People just like to play, to be honest. Are you surprised by the recent explosion of people wanting to do role-playing games? I don't think so. I, I think it actually makes a lot of sense to me. I think people want they they want something deeper it's it's i love video games but oftentimes as playing a video game you can feel like you're just getting pushed down a path and sometimes it's a really beautiful and artistic path with a really wonderful story but sometimes you wonder what's over that wall that they're not letting me jump over what's in that direction that's blocked by this npc who says i have to go this direction well, there's there's that level of control that that you're allowed to have in tabletop that I think is really um, fantastical and enticing to people, right? The ability, the so-called ability to go anywhere and do anything. And video games have been trying to, to, to do that. They've been getting bigger and bigger, allowing you to get into these open worlds and make many more choices, but it's never quite going to reach uh, the level of a a D and D game or a tabletop game, right? And so, mm -hmm. I think that combined with the fact that folks are just looking for ways to socialize with their friends, people want to play multiplayer games. They want to be in in Discord calls with one another, especially in this day and age where we had and are still having some some separation from one another due to things. People people want to have that connection and want to build those stories together and and walk away and, and say, these are my friends and we made something really awesome together. So I, I think it makes total sense. I'm thinking another connection is during COVID, having the shared story being the same of this is horrible and there's not a lot I can do. My life isn't that interesting because I'm just in <laughs> qu quarantine, all of those things. Yeah. And then to be able to get together and escape to this other world where you are able to do all these fun other adventures and have a conversation about that which is far more interesting than like definitely, how it's definitely. staying at home <laughs> yeah yeah i mean some of my players they their game nights are are sacred they, mm -hmm. they they're waiting all week and, and they're excited to continue the yeah. story and they're talk they talk about it with their friends and their family um, and sometimes it seems a lot more 
uh, a lot more real than just your your day to day. There's there's real consequences and and real heroics and and your actions. I never want to tell anyone that their actions in their day to day don't mean anything. But when you know you save a village or you defeat a dragon, that that can feel really really good. And your when your day to day might start feeling a little rhythmic, a little cyclical. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that I can be able to see other people's perspectives of how they would handle a situation. Because when in your day to day, do you get to watch someone have to grapple with the decision they have to make and see that thought process and then see what they do and then see the reaction of it. Like, I think that's as someone that's really interested in psychology, that's really intriguing to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of my players will often be like, oh, how could you put us in these situations? But but they're still, they they love it. They love the the drama and the conflict and and when you can kind of stump your players for a moment where they're like ooh this isn't a a right or wrong a good versus evil kind of moment this is really going to whatever we choose here is really going to speak to the kinds of players we are the kinds of characters we're running and yeah that is that is just so awesome so cool to see have you ever like weaved in ethical dilemmas like famous ones would be <laughs> You like have trolley a problem. The... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you ever tried to weave in things like that? Yeah, yeah. Like... Maybe, maybe with a little bit of a fantasy skin on on it. Yeah, definitely. The trolley problem is is the one that comes to mind because so often yeah. I think there's that call of well, if we don't get involved, then then what happens happens, and fate fate takes the wheel, and we have no responsibility in the situation. And then other players say, "We're heroes. This is our job. If we can." if we can reduce some of the bad even if there's still some bad we should do it yeah that kind of reminds me of doctors without borders one of their moral codes is to do the least harm Mm, no mm. they're knowing that like when i go into other countries and try to help in these traumatic instances that i know i'm going to cause harm but i want to cause the least amount of harm in order to do good and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and having to grapple with those two <laughs> and seeing like how different people approach it. What what got you interested in doing professional DMing? Yeah. So, I mean, speaking to COVID, I was actually, I was working in a completely different industry and COVID just kind of completely shut it down. And I had always been really into fantasy and really into writing. And, and I had always been running my own home games for, for friends and stuff. And when, uh, when I no longer had a job and I had nowhere else to go in in that kind of in that industry, I thought, well, I've got to figure out how to do something from home. And I was looking and and it was a really kind of transitionary period for me. And I saw I saw online, I, I was just kind of looking through Twitter, looking through some tabletop RPG tags and that sort of thing. And I and I saw that there were people who were actually advertising themselves as professional dungeon masters and i thought well wow that's that is really interesting with the fact that we are all so connected now with the internet and there are these virtual tabletops that even i had been using for my own home games like roll 20 and that sort of thing i thought yeah that 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 would be pretty cool there's probably a lot of people who there were times in my life where i didn't have access to a really good dungeon master so there's probably some people who really would value having access to something like that and so I started looking into it. I I started working at a very small gaming 
professional dungeon master game master company and after about a, a year of doing that i went independent and i and i created detect magic games which is it's just me doing uh professional games but i run about anywhere from 10 to 12 games a week now with a, with a whole wow. slew of of players yeah yeah it's and it's been great it's been really awesome to see how excited folks get when game day comes and, and they jump into the discord and they they really seem to be having fun with it so it's been it's been working out so far and and uh, i don't know where it goes necessarily from here but i'm having a good time and and i'm enjoying the adventures that we're having so far and that name detect magic it's so good <laughs> thank you thank you yeah. yeah i well yeah i think it came from i always love playing wizards and one of my favorite spells is is detect magic because <laughs> yeah. it really I think it really speaks to your DM what they describe when you cast detect magic if they just say yeah it's magical or if they tell you what color the magic is or what what the magic looks like does it flow like water is it more kind of harsh edges kind of like geometrical I always love that spell and, and the idea of being able to see what kind of magic is in things so I chose detect magic because I'm I'm helping people find the magic in their in their D D games. <laughs> That's so good. That is thank so good. you. Thank you. Yeah. Who is your audience and what types of people give you a call and say, hey, I need you as a DM? Yeah, I play most most of my games through the virtual tabletop Roll20. Great, great system for running games online. There's a really awesome free version that I, I used for my homebrew for years and years before I even started subscribing. Not that this is an ad, obviously, but I just really have found a lot of good value out of Roll20. And, and so on the Roll20 forums, there's actually a section where you can put your games up. You can advertise what adventure you're running, how many players you're looking for. And there's even a section where you can say, this is this is how much I charge professionally. So I when I began, I started getting clients through through that system. I started I, I got some clients through the the company that I was working at or that I was working for. And so it was a very slow kind of dribble of players coming in and not really sure what was going on and, and ha having never really paid to play D&D before and kind of just trying it out and then as I got bigger clients players started suggesting me to their friends and bringing in their families and it started really growing and so I, one of my clients brought in his sister and his brother-in-law and his his niece and so I, I had like a whole family table going and then just as as I started running more and more more the word got out and now I'm I'm pretty pretty full on D&D games at this point but yeah word of word of mouth just started spreading and and then when you tell people in your day-to-day -day that you run Dungeons and Dragons as your as your main source of income as your main job they they get curious and they and they start wanting to play so there's a lot of folks that I've met in person who I, I started to run for because they thought, well, this sounds this sounds really cool. So so yeah, it it was slow to start, but it's been it's been pedal to the metal for a while now. <laughs> and that speaks a lot that it just passed via word of mouth that people would play with you and they're like, oh, this guy's good. I'm certainly very happy and and very appreciative of of all my players who have suggested me and and I I wish to kind of continue to grow and and get even better to to hopefully make them give them even better games and, and better sessions in the future so yeah what kind of traits of, of a dm hmm. would you think would help 
to run a game where people feel connected and inspired? Yeah, so I think it is it is like you say, it, it really comes down to the people at your table and what they're expecting and, and what's going to be effective for them. But I think overall, going into any table, at least at least how I approach it when I'm going into a table with complete strangers, is just this level of acceptance and empathy and understanding, because I think all of those are going to build you up to be really aware of what your players want, what they don't want. And it's going to, at least in my kind of earliest experiences in tabletop, oftentimes the dungeon master was seen as the kind of the iron fist, the judge that makes all the decisions. And I think it's it's not necessarily every game was like that. I, I don't think that was the case, even, even with the oldest editions. But I think there probably were DMs like that. And I think now with all of this, uh, all of these tips and tricks and experiences that you can discover online, the, the ideal DM is really someone who allows you to play in the space in the way that you enjoy and facilitates what is going to be your your kind of style of fun and also someone who understands that we're, we're probably all coming to this game after like a long day of work or some stress in life and we might bring some of that stuff to the table and just understanding that if someone's getting frustrated or they're not really applying themselves to the game in a way that you would like you understand that we're all kind of going through our own stuff and even if people use this as a kind of release a release can be of, of stress but it can also be a release of a lot of just the emotions that are going on in life and so you might see that stuff at the table and just have to say hey let's let's take a break let's seems, seems like the emotions are kind of moving into a negative space let's kind of Try to talk through that and and just yeah i'd say just be aware of of your players and be empathetic and and that's before you even get to running the game right if you were to go back and give advice to yourself when you first started dming mm. what advice would you give that's a great question i would probably say you are not as cool as you think you are <laughs> you're, you're not as good of a writer as you think you are just humbling stuff i i wouldn't say i was exactly the most arrogant but this is kind of what i was speaking to before of oh I, I made this really cool thing and i can't i can't wait to show it to all my players and have that be what the session's about right i think i would just go back and say you don't you don't have to plan as much you don't have to go into as much detail F figure out but you need to figure out you don't need to stay up all night figuring out the exact details of this guild and, and who's worked in it and the histories of all of them but that stuff is cool when you when you have the time but i would say focus a lot more on giving your players actionable things to interact with give them give them choices don't don't put them in a, a linear labyrinth so to speak where it, it seems vast and large but there's really only one way to go give them multiple options and and also i would say don't reveal as much as you as you have been revealing keep some stuff behind the curtain your players will think that you're cool just for running dungeons and dragons you don't need to say well this if, if you go down this path you'll, you'll get a really cool item or whatever let your players make those decisions and find value in keeping the cards against your chest a bit more and when the players do come upon something cool and and discover it themselves it'll be that much more effective that much more evocative yeah. That's really valuable advice. It sounds like, and I think all of us in the beginning of trying something, we're like overcompensating. <laughs> yeah. 
we know yeah. we don't really know a lot and so I recently I I feel as though in the past my ego was kind of connected to being smart and mm. recently um my partner is the best at this he's he's always like oh no I'm a silly dumb dumb I don't know things when he's <laughs> like he's actually really smart sure, and sure. so just allowing myself to be like oh no I am a silly dumb dumb and that's okay. It feels so relieving and uh, allowing space to learn and grow rather than like needing to have it all structured and figured out beforehand. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely feel like I've, I've been there as well. But the great thing about kind of accepting that you know nothing or very little is that there's so much space to fill now. You're more open to say, wow, there's more ways to approach this. So many more angles to, to look at it from yeah, it's great I guess firstly I'm just curious what what your initial experience into the tabletop RPG kind of hobby was <laughs> so I am such a newbie to this field and I feel like I'm writing a biography of a famous person that I've never met so I've like researched a ton about this mm -hmm, person mm -hmm. and I've watched movies about this person but I've never actually met this person. So I've played three kind of just like one-off games with friends, one with my partner. And then I'm currently, I just started up a game with some other therapists that use RPGs therapeutically and we're playing kids on bikes. So I'm excited oh, nice. to nice. start that and, and learn that system. But I like origin, I remember the summer of 2020, I was working at Hilltop Artists, which is a glassblowing studio for Yin since we couldn't have anyone in the in the hot shop they had to do things virtually and one of my co-workers was like oh I'll run a D&D &D group and I remember thinking like who's gonna be interested in that <laughs> like how will that be you're just gonna like read books with each other like what mm -hmm, <laughs> I was just mm -hmm. like so confused by it but um so that was me in 2020 and then February of 2022 I went to go see NADPOD not another D &D oh podcast. awesome awesome cool and I also really resonate with Jake Hurwitz who <laughs> is like a newbie <laughs> to the mm -hmm, field he's like mm -hmm. I don't know what yep. I'm doing and so my partner in December of 2021 was like hey I have these tickets I know that you don't really follow D&D but if you want to you can come and I was like oh for sure and then I was like I should probably listen to a podcast of this so that mm -hmm. when I go I'm not so confused I ended up listening 60 hours of it I was <laughs> obsessed so obsessed Emily at Oxford like I enjoy her she's Emily is awesome Brian is a great DM yeah, yeah that, that whole crew that whole crew is really the really cool whole crew is so good and from there so I started my program in clinical mental health and school counseling September of 2021 and I knew I wanted to get into play therapy but I didn't mm. want to do it with kids I wanted to do it with teens and adults but play therapy is it's mostly for kids there's not a lot for teens and adults and like I've I've spent plenty of time in the darkness and for the the therapists that do do trauma healing and whatnot, like I'm so grateful for them. But I also see so much benefits to playing in the light and connecting to joy. And, mm. and I find that also to be very therapeutic. And uh, so when I, I learned that you could be able to use D&D &D for therapeutically, I was like, this is it. 
this is it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and every single assignment that I've had at school, I've like worked it so that I can nice. be able to like have it, do more research on it. And so, yeah, that's kind of my origin story of like getting into therapeutic RPGs. Awesome. That is really cool. And it's never too late to to get into it. So you're 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 less of a newbie than than folks who joined last year or this year. But it, it, it really doesn't matter. People have been playing since the 70s, since the 80s and should jump into it eventually. I think it's it's some of the most fun you can have, I think, with your friends and just your imagination. So that is awesome. That is really, really cool. Um, and I totally understand uh, putting it into all your all your projects, trying to trying to slip it in there. I was writing essays about about kind of the the value of choosing your own path, and I was in, I was making footnotes that the, the professor would have to choose to keep writing or to keep reading the main paragraph or jump to the footnotes. And I'd say, look, this is the value of the choose your own adventure style thing. So yeah, that's great. Uh, I love that. I've never <laughs> heard of someone doing that in a paper before. That's genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, look, you could have kept reading or you can go to this footnote or this footnote on the next page. And I made my essays. Yeah, kind of like a choose your own adventure. But so in terms of like wellness and the value that you see from the experiences that you can have in these types of games, I guess in your words, what what is kind of from what you've seen the greatest value on an emotional or psychological level that comes from this kind of play? Yeah, there's so many things that are beneficial that just kind of going off of the top of my head. One thing I really enjoy about therapeutic RPGs is for teens, you could tell a teen a million times, be like, hey, you need to like do this thing, but they're not going to do it until they think that they should do it. And also their brains are still developing. Their frontal lobe isn't really all there yet. Um, <laughs> and so it is difficult to be able to get through and to be able to make an impression so using this play format they can be able to see different perspectives collaborate with each other plan mm. how do we get through different obstacles they get to imagine which is also huge because something can't exist unless you imagine it and so if people are like flexing those imagination muscles in this mm. game then that also extend into their real life when there something is happening like this and they're like hmm how can I imagine this to be different and so taking those skills from the game and bringing into to real life or imagining like a different life that they want to live or a different relationship that they want to have just being able to open their minds to that possibility and then also per perspective taking of being able like I said previously being able to see how other people are reacting to things and be like mm -hmm. oh oh that I've I would have never thought to react that way and I can see how that's way more beneficial than how I would have reacted and to explore to be able to try something see the consequence and then either learn from that or do it another like 10 times and learn from it then but to be <laughs> able to see like action and consequences and another thing I love about it is people that are gender fluid and exploring their gender identity they get to play that out within the game as well and so Absolutely. I heard of a DM that had a player that wanted to get a binder like a breast binder mm, mm, mm. but was really like scared to do it in real life and so they practiced in the game they oh. went up to the shopkeeper mm -hmm. and they asked for a binder and through this interaction the player was able to 
have that experience and gain some more confidence so that in the real world, they could be able to go into a store and be able to ask for a breast binder without having so much uncertainty. I love that the game allows for identity and gender exploration for students to imagine who they want to be and how they want to show up. And, and in that scenario, they're able to imagine a different world. And so, yeah, there's there's so much good that I can see coming from it. And there's a lot of research about the benefits of role-playing games, but I definitely see it as a big explosion of something that we can use for social-emotional learning. And connecting back to my school counseling side, I'm currently doing a presentation at the Washington Association for School Counselors on the benefits of role-playing games. And a big thing is the lack of social-emotional skills that students have. did a whole school-wide survey, and only 20% of the students felt like their social emotional needs were being met. And then on the other side, teachers, only 20% of teachers felt that they could be able to help with social emotional needs. So wow. 80% of teachers were like, mm-hmm. we don't know what mm-hmm. to do. And there's not a lot of interventions to be able to help teach social emotional skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being that this is a fun and interactive game that you get to play with your friends, it's a lot more engaging and people, students might be a lot more motivated to come play a game than to go to one-on-one therapy. Sure, and sure. Both of them are valuable and both of them should happen, but it's a way to be able to provide social emotional learning in a school that desperately needs it where mm-hmm. people don't know how to give it. So that's another like cool aspect that I learned recently. That is great. That is really, really great. And and what a touching story regarding the player that you were talking about where they they knew that there was an aspect of their lives that they wanted to pursue, but they, they didn't have the experience yet to know if they really wanted to, to do that. And so they were able to approach that in the game and, and say, hey, yeah, this is really cool. And this is this is what I want for myself. So that is Mm-hmm. That is wonderful. That is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Sure. If you had a magic wand, what type of professional DM work would you like to have? <laughs> oh, man. Wow. So magic wand. I'm just thinking about the wand right now, to be honest. <laughs> that's that's just you... me as a wizard player. But yeah. Have you been to Splintered Wand up in Seattle? I haven't. I haven't. Oh. I'll have, have to, to check go. it out. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to add to my to my Renaissance Fair <laughs> outfit. <laughs> yeah. I had a magic wand. I mean, the one that I think a, a lot of DMs look up towards now is having that really tight-knit group that you can stream and you can put the game out to everyone and have everyone love your characters and, and kind of a critical role type situation. I don't know if that is necessarily for me. Obviously, that sounds absolutely great. But I think my ideal as a professional dungeon master or game master would be probably something more in line with giving other folks the tools to do what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Teaching people who want to play this game and don't have the tools yet or think that they're not, they don't, they're not smart enough or or not prepared enough or whatever it might be. Just, I mean, there's plenty out there online and I, and I've certainly gone through a lot of it, but just being able to work one-on-one with folks and, and give them the tools to start their own games and, and help them build their own mythologies with their friends. Because I think that is what I value the most is building that kind of personal mythology with the people you love where 
other people may not necessarily know what you're talking about or have context, but this, this dragon or this dwarf or this NPC that you guys all love, it's something that's very real and it's like kind of a pillar in a sense of your of your relationship with your friends that you can point back to this moment that you guys had where it seemed like it was all or nothing you're gonna lose everything or, or gain great treasures or rewards or it might be and and speak about that as if it were real because it really it is real to a certain extent you're really building something with with these people you love i would really like to be able to to show people that to get together with the people you love and, and to make something that you you guys are really proud of is something that you're going to hold on to for the rest of your life and and that is that is really valuable that's beautiful i love that yeah i just want to well firstly thank you so much for bringing me on to your podcast it's been an absolute pleasure everyone you definitely should go listen to the last episode with connor he's great and it was awesome hearing you guys talk about tabletop and, and his experience as a as a forever dm as he was saying but yeah everyone go go listen to that episode but also if you are interested in playing with detect magic games please reach out to me detectmagic.net is my website i'm also on twitch twitch.com detectmagic and if you want to talk about tabletop or you've played before you haven't or whatever i'm more than happy to to chat with you and maybe get you into a game so that would be awesome and thanks for listening awesome and yeah i'll i'll link those in the show notes too uh, awesome so people cool, can like cool. access them really easy so perfect again thanks so much mo well that concludes the podcast for today isn't tav such a gem of a person i am totally gonna look into hiring him as a dm either playing a game or you know teaching me the skills of what to do and how to be a good dm but i think you all know what time it is it's time to get your jimmy jammies on and your comfy little socks and get underneath a blanket or not a blanket if you're not a blanket person and you just want to sit on the couch without a blanket that's totally fine too or if you want an electric blanket to (laughs) whatever blanket suits you get it and go take a nap because you deserve it